You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. I'm Simon. And for the next 60 seconds, Lee is going to be talking about the Doctor, the Widow and the Wardrobe. Bill Bailey, what a waste. Can I stop there? <clears throat> no, you've got oh, to talk for another 57 back. seconds. Um, uh, really, I, I really like the idea. I think make a great graphic novel more than anything else. It's, it's, it's a really big, beautiful, bold concepts and ideas and visuals. But as a story... Mm, don't know, too Narnia, really too much relying on uh, fiction that's already been and not doing necessarily a brilliant job on it. It's okay, it's okay. I didn't mind it. Really good for Christmas, very Christmassy. Matt Smith's really nice in it, good in it, you know, entertaining kids and in the bedroom. Sad, slightly sad, sad story that becomes quite happy near the end. Uh, a woman in a giant metal thing like alien, like Sigourney Weaver, walking around. Can't beat that in a film. Brilliant. And wooden people. The wooden people were good, actually. They were underused as well. And what a great planet idea as well. That, uh, again, was underused. I don't know, it just seemed like a little bit of a waste not having Bill Bailey do anything other than just stand there looking at people in a and Arabella in an Weir. And Arabella Weir. Yeah, she's quite good. She was a doctor once. And for the next 60 seconds, Lee's going to be talking about Night Terrors. What am I talking... Uh, all right, Night Terrors. Night Terrors, Mark Gatiss. I like Mark Gatiss, and I felt really very sorry for the fact that this great idea didn't come off the way that it should have done. I've marked it reasonably low, uh, and it's a shame, because I love the concept, love the idea. The peg dolls are brilliant. It was just whoever directed it, I can't remember who directed it, uh, didn't give it enough atmosphere. should have been really, really, really atmospheric. Yeah, no, I'm sorry, Mark. It doesn't matter what you say. It's my 60 seconds, right? But uh, <laughs> And I, I actually didn't like the kid and the dad in it either. What's your problem, guys? You love it, don't you? <laughs> You've got a giant chocolate finger stick sticking out of your face. Don't eat while you're on a podcast. It doesn't doesn't sue you. And you've still got 10 seconds to go. Um, and, uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, no, the, char- the characters in it weren't that great either. The landlord was terrible. But, peg dolls? Sorry? The peg dolls? The peg dolls, fantastic. Loved them. Great toys as well. Mm. Okay, we'll call that in a minute. And for the next 60 seconds, Lee, you're going to be talking about the Rebel Flesh. I hate all of you, backwards and inside out. Rebel <laughs> Flesh, um, another really, really great concept. I love the idea of clones being made from like sentient beings and stuff like that you're just making me talk so you can eat all the chocolate biscuits that's really uh-huh. unfair <laughs> uh how dare thee uh the i thought the great um <laughs> matt smith's rebel flesh was pretty good 
Um, and hey, the fact morning, that morning. actually it's it's taken his imprint and it's gone a bit cr- a bit crazy with it and starts talking Don Baker, uh, which I loved. I loved that moment. That's fantastic. I really, really wanted a flesh version of Matt Smith roaming the universe or being still alive so we could revisit that idea. It's, I thought it was just a bit of a waste of a great idea. Um, good monsters, um, good characterizations. I thought it was underrated. I actually really liked it. I love the location, the idea of using a castle. Uh, very clever as a uh, some kind of centre uh, for whatever it is they were doing. For the next 60 seconds, I'll be talking about another Doctor Who episode in that season. Yep, closing time. <laughs> <laughs> this is unfair. <clears throat> this is bullying, you know that, don't you? There's a reason for it. Closing time. Well, so I can go home and you can continue. Okay. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Craig Owen, um, somebody who had absolutely no... Love for at all grew on me very quickly through, through these episodes, um, The Lodger and Closing Time. Uh, I thought it was really good. Again, Cybermen not needed in it at all. You could have had no monster in it, actually, and just had both of them having a bit of a laugh for 45 minutes and I'd have watched it. It was fine. Um, not much else I can really say about that. Cybermats. The Return of the Cybermats. Yes, thank goodness. They were good and they were used well as well. I'm very clever to have them in a toy store. That was a good setting for them. <clears throat> well written, very very fun, but bluff. Okay, you skipped ten seconds on that, but I'll forgive you. Finally, Lee, for sixty seconds, you're going to be talking about let's kill Hitler, and then I'll tell you why this has happened. Mm. Let's kill Hitler. Best thing about that, Rory punching Hitler in the face and blocking him in the cupboard. Definitely the best thing out of the whole thing. Um, no, that's a lie. Actually, the the test selector is quite a good invention. And the fact that uh, they turn into a, uh, a motorbike and a German soldier was pretty cool. Uh, my kid loved that. Uh, um, oh, I don't know. There was, there was so much in that. Melody Pond uh, being a friend of Amy's I thought was a bit lame. I uh, didn't like that idea much. It, set in Berlin. The whole thing was really good fun. It was a whole lot of fun. But I, again, it was. I can't say anything else in 60 seconds about this. There's, there's too much in it. Well, There's too much emotion in it near the end. Regenerations, melody turning into, or Mel's turning into River. The great river moment. Giving up her regenerations. For all the right, doctor. well, okay, that that was a great moment because I wasn't expecting that. I, I actually got caught out with that. I didn't think it would be her. So that was really good fun. Rose in the TARDIS. <sighs> no, no. So. <laughs> okay, we'll call it a day. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm intrigued to know why I've been picked on. Uh, because we recorded the first half of uh, season six <laughs> last week without you, and you weren't able to make comments on any of the stories that we talked about. Oh. So now I've just got 60 seconds worth of comment from you about each of the stories that we talked about when oh, you weren't here. Very clever. Uh, the only one that I didn't get was Curse of the Black Spot, because you actually gave us a comment for that that we read out in the episode. <laughs> so now... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the show wasn't too good, was it? You can beep it. This is becoming the sweary show. Yeah, but does it is it necessary? It is with the curse of the black spot. Okay, so now we're going to move on, and we're going to talk about the six stories that we liked collectively the best in the uh, 2011 run of episodes. And the first one, the story that we voted the sixth best of the twelve, was the wedding of River Song. Anybody? That was the best, was it? No, no, that was the sixth best. Oh, <laughs> out there. Absolutely out there. I mean, I 
unfortunately came across some rumours very early on, even before any of the season had gone out, all the business about the uh, Winston Churchill riding on his mammoth and all this sort of thing. And so, it was, it, you know, you knew something pretty odd was coming along. Um, <laughs> That'd have been brilliant. It, it's such a weird Well, they mix. finally got to do it with the yeah. Doctor and the yeah. Triceratops. I yeah. guess. It was all such a weird mix. You knew something re- something was going to happen with timelines and what have you. Um, I really wish I hadn't seen it because it would have been a complete surprise at the end of the season. Um, and it's one of those, it, it's a yet another Marmite episode, isn't it? Because I don't know whether I like the fact that it was so weird and so random. And then there's part of me, the Douglas Adams side of me, that thinks actually the random side is absolutely fantastic. And it's something this series has never been able to do before. I love it. I'm mm. <clears throat> on record as loving it. I think as an eight-year-old, if you'd have sat down at the age of seven or eight and that mm. had come on the telly on a Saturday night, you would have been completely palm-faced with just how astonishing and mad and ridiculous it all was. Mm. And the fact that it almost added up to make a story that made sense <laughs> was quite close enough. When you've got that much going on, and it's so much fun, the, the, the Cave of Skulls. Yeah, yeah, and the Indiana the reference James. to the brigadier was just so mm. lightly done, so beautifully done, mm. and made so much sense in the context of where it came in the story as well. And then you know the chess game in a huge arena, mm. <laughs> and then the the sort of alien Viking, and that's before you get to uh, you know a steam train going into a pyramid in the middle of the desert with Area Fifty One written on a big sign and pterodactyls wheeling around in the air. Mad, amazing, Again, brilliant. The, I said this on another, another podcast, that some of these Moffat things are feeling like great graphic novels, uh, you know, great comics, and that is, to me, is like a giant comic on screen. Yeah. You know, the craziest ideas actually being put on screen. It's actually very much, it, funny, strangely, reminds me of the Iron Legion. Do you remember the very first yeah. Tom yeah, Baker yeah. strip in Doctor Who Weekly? That same sort of grandeur. Backwards and forwards coming together. In a mishmash of Mm. mental but fun. I think if you're looking at things like Let's Kill Hitler, The Wedding of River Song, and expecting them to make complete sense, you're totally missing the point. Mm. I voted it fairly low, I think. I've spoken about this before. I felt that series, for me, was a bit too arc-heavy. And I got to the point by the end of that season that I... Just got a bit fed up of hearing about River, River Song, and I like the character a lot, mm. but I just kind of got a bit fed up with it. There were some nice touches. I liked um, having Simon Cowell in there. Thought that was a nice little um, yeah. callback. Yeah, the first series. Um, Simon Cowell. Simon Cowell. Callow. Callow. Oh, yeah. That's the one. So I misheard. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I was. I don't think you did. Racking my brains. <laughs> all my visual. I'm being really thick. Why did he have to marry her? I know there's the whole crux of the story, but even now I don't quite understand why he had to marry her. Oh, God, I couldn't even begin to tell you. Why don't you? Because he dies at her wedding. What? (laughs) God knows. God knows. I couldn't begin to tell you what it's all about, what it all means. (laughs) Or is it because he, he, does he need to marry her in order to be able to tell her his name? He doesn't tell her his name. No, he he doesn't. doesn't He tells her, look into my eye and see the little doctor in the little tesselector. Doing a little dance. Mm. (laughs) Oh, it's insane. A little numbskull. But if it made sense, you know, 
It's like the pirate planet. Does that really make sense? One of the things that bugged me about this episode was the fact that they laid it on so heavy when they had a little reprise at the start about the Tesselect, and you just think straight away, right, okay, well, I know what the, the know. sign-off's going to be on the, the Doctor being shot. It's a shame, because yeah. he, they didn't need that. He, no. It would have been Or they could have showed just as much from the Rebel Flesh, so that you still yeah. didn't know if it could have been the... Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Flesh version of the Doctor. Mm. Well, that's my point. Why? I mean, I think I said it on something else that why have Matt Smith's Rebel Flesh Doctor disappear in that episode? Maybe the door closes. You don't see what happens to him, and therefore you're thinking, oh, maybe he's the Flesh. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't do it like that. They didn't do it like that. That was it. I assumed at the start of the series that that episode was going to be either the solution or a red herring. Yeah, but when they killed off the Flesh Doctor at the end of the episode, it's like. Okay, oh. it's not either. Mm. <laughs> so then it could only be the Tesselector. Exactly. But, you know, that notwithstanding, The Wedding of River Song was a lot of fun. And I think for a Saturday night audience who, you know, have grown up with things like Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and mm. nowadays mm. Harry Potter and all things like that, to get something like that on a television budget... Well, it's just astonishing, really. But there were so many wild ideas, so many bonkers ideas that, that your normal casual viewer, forget it. They're just going to look, look at it and go, oh, look, Winston Churchill. Oh, look, a pyramid. Oh, look. A, yeah, but a, I a, think that's kind of What's going point. on? I don't know. Eat your chips, mm. love. But I think you can kind of get carried along with it. That's the, the kind of point of Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who is that even if you don't understand quite why everybody's in the specific situation they're in, Mm. it's always clear what the objectives are. And, you know, it's explained along the way why certain things need to happen in order for certain objectives to be reached. You know in The Wedding of River Song that there's a fixed point in time where the Doctor has to die and that River Song has to kill him. So the the, the, the episode is all about engineering a situation whereby Riversong can shoot the Doctor and him not die, and you get it twice. You get it early in the episode where she says, no, I'm not going to kill you, and that's what causes time to be thrown out of whack. So within the episode, there's an explanation for why you've got all the mad Mm. ideas. So it's not like a non-regular viewer is going to be thrown by that, but it's also been explained by that point that River needs to kill the Doctor in order for the solution to be reached. Mm. So at the end, when it's a robot version of the Doctor that she shoots, at least you still see River shooting the Doctor. So at least for a casual viewer, in spite of the fact that it comes at the end of a quite arc-heavy season, everything that's needed to understand what's happened through the episode is in the episode. So it's not going to be too confusing, but it's big and bright and colourful as well. It's still confusing me because there's a huge gap um, of River Song's childhood, Melody Pond. Why was she out in that street regenerating? And she'd just escaped from the silence. She'd been keeping her prisoner in that house for seven years. Right. Where did she go? What do you mean? After she escaped, oh, she got herself over to England, did she? To yes. All oh, right. Okay. It's starting to make yeah, sense. And then, head, yeah, and then became uh, um, Amy's friend. Right. It's all messed up, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's all messed up. She's been she living with her daughter her... for so long, all being friends with her daughter. But she knows this woman's her mother. She has the picture by the bedside for those first seven years when she's a prisoner of the silence. Oh, yes. Mm. That's why she looks for her. I mean, it doesn't make brilliant sense, but it all makes enough sense mm. that mm. if... 
It stands on repeated viewing as well, which yeah, is if you good. Want, if you want, if you're the kind of person who wants it not to make sense, you can pick enough holes in it that it doesn't. Do you but, know what confuses me <clears> is the fact that I seem to remember, this is from memory, that the, the, the scene with the little girl regenerating is set in like the 1920s. Yeah, it's just set in a back alley, isn't it? Oh, is it? it? I don't know why. It's just what she was wearing. I can't... That's, see? And he takes two years in my memory cheese. I think it's set in the 1970s. Right, it's, okay. Ooh, well, it's at the time of the moonshot, isn't it? It's sort of late 60s. Oh, right, late. okay. Well, if she's okay. seven, it would be... Moonshot was 69, so if she's seven, yeah. it would be 76. Mm. Yeah, okay. And or it's, Well, she might not be seven because she's River Song, right? And she ages slightly differently to everybody else. Oh, yeah. So, oh, right, of course. you know, because by the time she gets to know Amy as a child, this would be mm. 1990s, early, ni- late 80s, 90s, something like that. She's so going to pass um, herself off as the same age. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the regeneration could be that she regenerates into a younger body. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I guess, although we don't see it, there's always the possibility that there's been another regeneration yeah. as well. Mm. Mm. But anyway, the idea is that she's a prisoner of the silence. Then she goes and she becomes friend with the other. It, like I say, if you want it not to make sense, it cannot make sense. If you want it to make sense, you've just got to fill in yeah. a few blanks. I've got so many questions. But, but yes. that's the same with most fiction. <laughs> this is one of the things people like to do with Stephen Moffat. They like to take his stories apart piece by piece, looking for them not to make sense. Angels take Manhattan. There's a scene at the end of there in the graveyard, where Rory, Rory and Amy get zapped back by the angel, weeping angel in the graveyard, right? Yeah. And then, after they've been zapped back, we cut away to the Doctor and River in the TARDIS, looking very despondent, right? And the amount of people I saw who'd written online on forums, oh, but they've left an angel in the graveyard, we never saw what happened to that. Well, you know, presumably they'll have dealt with it. Well, yeah, but in it, was, terms it was a remnant, of the drama, wasn't it, you don't want Paradox. to see them dealing with that. You want to cut to the bit in the TARDIS yeah. afterwards yeah. where they're... So, you know, you don't need to see it in no. order for it to make sense. You just fill in a few blanks yourself. Same with any fiction. A bit like if, Family Guy when Peter Griffin falls over and spends about a minute just holding his knee going, Ah! Ah! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, something that you didn't uh, need to see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. You you don't watch the entire journey on the plane from Cairo, you know, to Cairo from Tibet or whatever. <laughs> no. You know, you jump past it. Yep, they're in Tibet and they're in Cairo. You, you don't need map. to see them go there. It was a weak angel anyway, wasn't it? It was one that was left over from the paradox. Yeah. So. Presumably, the Doctor does something with it and it gets disposed of. We don't need to see it. No, but anyway, that's what I'm saying with mm. things like the Wedding of River Song. You either, if you like it. Fill in the blanks. And if you don't like it, you don't. Anyway, shall we move on to... And this is wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, if we're going to... The story we voted our fifth favourite of the 2011 run of stories was A Good Man Goes to War. Yeah, it needs to be at number five. <clears throat> uh, eye patches. Did they wear eye patches in that, or was that the other one? That was Wedding of River Song. We didn't talk about the eye patches and Wedding of River Song, did we? I thought the eye patches was a little bit of not genius, but it's clever enough idea. Mm. It was a good idea actually, yeah. but you didn't need eye patches, did you? <laughs> well, you Technology need... that far in the future, you're not going to wear a giant eye patch, are you? Oh my god! But for the eight-year-old kids in the audience <laughs> to see everybody wearing eye patches—that's <laughs> yeah. half the point, yeah. isn't it? Oh, okay. 
Anyway, good man goes to war. Yeah. Yeah. That was, well. It was more of a visual th- trick, wasn't it? To suddenly see all the characters. All of a sudden, there were publicity shots of everyone wearing eye patches. It was like, oh, what the hell's going on? So yeah. And it was in the story where they addressed what had happened to the brigadier as well, of course. Yeah. Which was, whether by coincidence or by design, it was a nice touch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Good Man Goes to War is not so bad, is it? There are, it's just a bit... Enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Yeah. I loved it. I have to Did say you love that. It? How uh, come it became Good Man though? Goes to War, Let's Kill Hitler and The Wedding of Riversong. I absolutely adored all three of those episodes. I don't know about Adore. That might be a bit strong. I did like the Sontaran. I thought he was great. What a, what a great character. Just a little twist of skin instead of a head. Yeah, they were yeah. good. The turkey twizzlers, whatever let's not called. Let's not forget <laughs> the, um, the scene with Rory on the cyber... Ship, yeah, that was very cool as well. It's one of the best scenes ever, I think. <laughs> and they uh, and you got the kick ass Silurian and a yeah, friend, gonna say that. Uh, and a girlfriend, very good, yeah. yeah. So, why wasn't it amazing? Confusingly that called Jenny, amazing. I loved it. No, there's something about it that didn't feel amazing, yeah. But I think there's something about all it these seems to remember being quite affected by it at the time, you know, what with the you know, the big reveal at the end. I think it's because when you promise something like, oh, the doctor's calling in all his um, favours favors, and you end up with just a few people that you've never really met before. It's like, well, hang on a minute. What about the rest of his time? I know, obviously, budget constraints, but there must have been like thousands of people that owe him favours. And you, we only see about three or four handful of people. They're the appropriate Turn. ones. Well, you've just answered your own question as well, haven't you? The Doctor gets a game. because of the budget? Um, yeah. Shame you had to bring gets the pirates back. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's right. Yeah, the pirates. Are, yeah, what were they doing there? Well, yeah, I don't see the Great <laughs> moment. Do you think? Yeah, I love that. Mm. I think there's better people for the job. But, yeah, no, I understand the reasons why. Also, it's a case of... Uh, internal continuity within the series that Stephen Moffat had already done the previous year in the pre-title sequence on the Pandorica Opens when he showed how you get from Churchill to Liz Ten to Vincent van Gogh and then, you know, the story kicks in. Yeah. That's the thing that Stephen Moffat likes to do. So That was good. <clears throat> yeah, so he's just him doing it again. It's the thing he does. Mm. Mm. I mean, you had in the run of episodes we've just had, you had the Henry VIII thing as well, mm. you know, and the bringing the gang together in dinosaurs on a spaceship. It's just a you either the Doctor Who that's on at the moment, you either like it or you prefer another period. You prefer Russell T Davis or you prefer Stephen Moffat or you prefer what will happen before or you're looking ahead to what's going to happen next. But if you buy into the current Doctor Who, you buy into it because of the specific things it does. And every guy who runs the show on something like Doctor Who, it's going to have certain conventions that they use. And one of the things that Stephen Moffat does is internal continuity across the series where you get characters showing up again that mm. makes it feel like a more coherent universe. One of those characters is the, um, I forget his name now, the blue guy. Yeah, Dor- Dorian Dorian yeah. yeah, great. Yeah. And loses his head. Yeah. And yeah. then, of course, you get the head in The Wedding of River Song. Mm. It's all part of making it into a universe that feels like it has some kind of consistency. No matter mm. how mad it gets, mm. you do get repeated characters throughout and you do get a sense that the Doctor's adventures are all taking place in, you know, not the same time and space, but within the same wider universe, which is something that the old series very often couldn't and wouldn't address. I mean, 
the times when you'd get the meddling monk turning up in the middle of the Daleks' master plan for no apparent reason whatsoever were very few and far between. How many characters ever did that in 26 years of the classic series? You know, meddling monk, glitz. Anybody think of any others? Not a fan. Dipper. <laughs> well, he didn't, did he? Glitz turned up without him. Didn't oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. <clears throat> you always tend to think of him as a pair, though, don't you? You do. Glitz and Dibber. Yeah, <laughs> you do. But what I'm saying is, yeah. in the... it's it, actually from a story point of view, it's also believable in that the Doctor as a character would look to recent reference points. <clears throat> if you've got the whole of time and space, when you're starting to think of solutions to a problem, you'll think of the things that have happened to you most recently. So he would go to his most recent adventures, so to speak. And it does also, you know, the thing that I always find that's the most weird thing that never was addressed in the classic series is how many times do the Sontarans turn up? How many times do the Daleks turn up? And the Cybermen and the Autons and the everything and everything. The enemies of the Doctor turn up time after time after time. The friends of the Doctor don't. And now we've got a situation where the friends of the Doctor are turning up with the same regularity as the monsters. And to me, that makes it feel like a more cogent universe. Mm. Nice big happy family. But I do, I do like the idea that the Silurian uh, is, a, is, is a friend of the Doctor's. It's somebody I really like that story, that backstory, the mm. idea of it. I'd like to have seen that in an episode, yeah. actually, I've got to say. And... Um, the other things, uh, you know, like the Centauran, for instance, you know, he, he is, well, okay, he's not necessarily a mate of the Doctor's, but he's paying off something in order to, you know, get his uh, honour back. But he's, he's such a funny character. <clears throat> he's very, very well done, and it's it's a lightweight Centauran. But it works. It could be it could have been done really badly. Simon's not happy about that. I'm not happy. I'm not happy with the Centaurans becoming jokes it wasn't... Or, or substitute Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, that Simon's so real bugbear. I thought it was. It had a logical. He had a yeah, logical. I thought it was quite logical the way it was addressed. He had a reason to be in. He, he was in debt to the doctor. He mm. had to pay off the debt. It seems to yeah. me that a race for whom honor is the absolute number one principle. That if they have a debt to pay off, they would do absolutely, regardless of how stupid mm. it might make them look. Yeah, and um, there was. And yes, they mined some comedy from it. Some of it was pretty silly about the lactating and everything else, what have you. <laughs> no, I love but, that. You know, that's hilarious. That's but that's that's just a joke, you know. It's yeah. I know it's just taking a joke. But it's, it's, it's also, also, it's also, it's also it. it's so insulting, isn't it? Imagine getting B. A. Baracus, and he's done something really bad, and then you say, "Right, your your boobies are going to give milk to children." Oh my god! How <laughs> what an insult that is! You Somebody's need to watch so Freaked. Manly, eh? You need to watch Freaked. I'll lend you the tape. It's a movie with Mr. T in it. I'll I'll lend it to you. Okay. In which he lactates. <laughs> Not quite, no. He just play a bearded lady, though. Oh, well, I've heard about that. Yeah. Uh, do you want to move on to the next story? Yes. Yeah. The story yeah. that we voted the fourth best is The God Complex. I'm quite surprised it's fourth. Not higher. Yeah, because I've watched it recently. So I, think, I don't know when we did this list. How long ago did we do this list? couple of months or so right or... so i've watched it since then and i've i've enjoyed it a lot more since i I put my thoughts on that list i think so i'd probably raise it up yeah i 
I think it's a particularly strong story, but the trouble is it's also a particularly strong, for me, series. And mm. I, as much as I like the God Complex, and I think that's another great, great episode of Doctor Who, I just tend to prefer the more fun ones. Mm. So if I've got a fun one and a more serious one that are about level pegging, I'd probably go for the fun one. I think because I didn't really take to Series 6 in quite the same way you did, for me, God Complex really stood out. It was one of the stronger episodes. Why? And I think, Why did it stand out? I don't know. I think the um, the characterization for me, I felt, was really good. Um, David Williams' character was quite a nice sort of twist on a... Not someone who's a sort of stereotypical evil character, but someone just through his own cowardice is quite evil which i thought was quite interesting and the whole thing about um the complex and you open the door and you see your greatest fear and things like that i just thought it was quite a neat setup lovely (laughs) ideas Mm. yeah really nice ideas toby winhouse would quite often take one of the sort of classic ideas like in the uh in school reunion he did the whole god equation thing right Mm. he'll quite often take one of the classic ideas and then write a story about something else entirely. And that idea becomes just a part of the texture of the episode. And it's like God Complex could probably have existed without there being these rooms with people's specific fears in. Mm. Although that, you know, in the same way as the God Equation did, becomes part of the central premise. But essentially, God Complex is about the characters. And you could have showed those characters in any number of other ways. And you could have had the Minotaur running around this hotel, hunting them down, without all this stuff about the fears and the rooms, the episode would still have existed. But because Toby writes such great character and such great um, intellectual texture, it gives his episodes a wholly sort of properly three-dimensional feel mm. that you don't necessarily always get with the other. There's so much going on in there. I'd have liked it to be a bit more twisted, though. Again, this is same the same dangerous word with Doctor Who is expectation. And when you had all the little clips of the, like, the clown and things like that, I was expecting something far darker. I know it was pretty dark anyway, but almost to the point where you didn't know what was around the well, corner. Well, interestingly enough, I think with taking the hotel situation yeah. and making it darker, that's exactly what uh, Moffat's done with Manhattan, Angel State Manhattan. Yes. Because uh, my son was watching that the other day of the first 10 minutes that he got to anyway, and he was actually properly scared. He had to go and turn the light on. I thought, brilliant. So he's made, Moffat has finally made a hotel really scary. God Complex, that's what I was hoping for, was the, the, the same as you, Simon, mm-hmm. to have it really dark and really scary and eerie. Unfortunately, I think like the the, the dummies and things, you know, got a gear, got a gear. That was just trying to, that was just trying to be... It, it yeah. was freaky rather freaky than scary. Freaky and trying to be Another too one of those where the weird. ideas were better than the story, I thought. Oh, or more, when it wasn't realised quite as... I don't know, I think as a kid I found those things really creepy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. it depends That's on in what there. your fears are. Yeah. They did show the room with the guy with the girls laughing at him, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they had, they had a bit of variety. Mm. And of course we didn't see what the doctor, his fear was. Himself, and of course, Amy's weren't. fear was as Amelia, wasn't it? Right at the end. That was a great scene. I said afterwards, you know, at the end, the bit where the doctor has to talk Amy into not believing in him, so mm-hmm. her faith 
gets wiped out so yeah. the creature can be destroyed. Or goes a bit Curse of Fenric. But that scene, yeah, it is a bit Curse of Fenric. Mm. That scene is, on first viewing, I took it that the Doctor was saying what he needed to say in order to get her to do what he needed to do. But actually, you go back to that scene afterwards and it's almost like the Doctor's actually unburdening the truth that he's always kept hidden. That he really isn't the man who can save everybody and that he really isn't the man who's going to just go out and be brilliant all the time. Mm. And that a lot of the Doctor's character, especially the 11th Doctor, who's, you know, all flailing elbows and flailing hair and what have you, there's quite a lot of bluster with the 11th Doctor. Mm. And it's almost like it took somebody like Toby Whithouse, and this quite often happens with a showrunner, the showrunner will have so much on his plate he doesn't always necessarily realise that the things he's saying aren't obvious to anybody else other than the other people he's working with on the show. Mm. So it's almost like it takes somebody like Toby Whithouse to come along and actually see what the showrunner's doing and actually present it to the audience. So that scene at the end of there, where the Doctor talks Amy down, felt to me, the second time I watched it, like Toby Whithouse actually worked out exactly what Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who was, and had put it down on a piece of paper. Well, much like Chris Chibnall at the end of... Uh... Power of Three. Yes. Exactly, yeah, I was going to yeah. make that point. This Last year it was Toby that did it. Mm. Not just Toby, but we're going to get to um, The Girl Who Waited in a minute. I think Tom McRae did it as well. I think mm. Toby did it with the ideas, and Tom McRae did it with the characters. And I think this year, yeah, Chris Chibnall's done it. And I think Stephen Moffat... Mm. <clears throat> I've loved his episodes... But I think Stephen Moffat's almost kind of, in doing some of the things he does, has almost kind of forgotten to be himself sometimes. Because mm. mm. he's getting so carried away, perhaps, with doing the Stephen Moffat things, that actually he's the heart of what Stephen Moffat is, where Stephen Moffat's come from. The things that he did yeah. when he was doing the one story a year, have almost kind of got lost a little bit yeah, by the way. There's a lack of soft centre. In his stories. In his stories, yeah. And then other writers are coming in and doing it for him. Yes, yeah. So for the last two years, maybe, because in the first series, this definitely wasn't true. And it's not usually true that the guest writer's episodes will be of a better quality than the showrunner. Usually it's the other way around. There'll be good episodes by the occasional guest writer. But you look through Russell T. Davis's and... Most of the time, the strongest, most consistent episodes are the Russell T. Davis ones. Mm. And even the brilliant Stephen Moffat ones, they might be brilliant, but they're not consistent with the rest of the series. No, no. Whereas Series 6, and actually things like The God Complex and The Girl Who Waited, are the strongest, most consistent episodes. And so even though I preferred things like The Wedding of River Song and Let's Kill Hitler, because I just loved how much fun they were. They were my, the eight-year-old me's favourite episodes. Mm. But actually, the strongest episodes are The Doctor's Wife, The God Complex, and The Girl Who Waited. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> Anybody got anything else on The Good God point Complex? point well made. Great monster design. Loved that yeah. monster. That was fantastic. And oh, the Nymator. The, the ni- <laughs> <laughs> good. And then to mention the Nymon, that's great. And another really strong um, uh, potential companion that never was oh yeah she was brilliant was such I was a great little gutted. moment i was absolutely gutted mm. when she bought it oh yeah mm. david williams as a comedy turn what does everyone think 
I think that's. Pra- I I thought he did okay, but I think that was perhaps the weakest element in the episode. I think it was as well. I completely yeah. agree with you. I don't actually. think he was bad. No, but I think if there had to be a weak link in that episode, then yeah, that character or that actor as that character was it. Mm. I think it was. I mean, he play. I couldn't take it seriously. It was just a little Britain for me. It just yeah. if he'd have just, just been a little I've, less. I feel he could have played a completely straight human role, exactly. and and it would have worked. I've seen him in do do straight drama, and he's great. Yeah, straight. Mm. It would have worked equally as well. Yeah, you're right. So I think yeah. it was a bit of a Simon Pegg's in Long Game as well. To be honest, mm. I think some actors that you just can't cast in serious parts anymore. And to be fair to them, they didn't cast him in an entirely serious part. But still, you cast some actors are just so well known for mm. doing a certain mm. kind of thing. And it's not just that they're well known. When you've done something that strong for that period of time, you actually can't help doing it. I think with this one, they were trying to play with that preconception, weren't they? Because they got him as this little sort of mole type creature. And you think, oh, bless him. And actually, it turns out to be a bit of a, At the a end. bleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in that respect, he played it well. Yeah. yeah. It did work. Well, the next story, the story we voted third best for the year, and this actually surprised me a bit, was The Impossible Astronaut. I think that's one of my favourites, wasn't it? I think I voted that quite high. Um, just because it's a, just a flipping good opener. The, yeah. pun- the punch in the stomach effect. Cause it it was. was the beginning of the of the way Moffat is now doing his uh, you know, uh, episodes, a kind of filmic thing. And also it's the beginning of the hopping around like a yeah. Well, actually, it's not because Pandorica opens, does that the big bang. Well, does that. yeah, hopping around and making it feel bigger than than it is. Um, I like the fact that it was a much more dark opening story compared to the more sort of light and fluffy ones yeah. we've had, particularly yeah. under Russell T Davis. Mm. Exactly, and uh, you know, the moment he gets shot is just one of the best scenes of Matt Smith's tenure for me. I just, just a shame love they had to publish that picture up on the web page before it went out. Well, I never saw that, so... It only went up the same day. Yeah, I know, but shadows yeah. like me are going to keep on checking on the webpage, aren't they? <laughs> uh, well, it was... Uh, the thing is, if it's so early in the episode, you're not spoiling mm. the majority of the episode, but as a hook to make people want to watch that episode, we kill off the lead character in the first ten minutes. Yeah. You can't get much of a bigger hook. I mean, I don't, I don't tend to go on the spoiler sites, but I tend to think if you go to the official site, then they wouldn't necessarily be putting spoilers on but for me I it's not a spoiler a that's the thing well. the episode is about how do we get past the fact that he's died right at the start mm. that's like saying yeah know, but if you're not expecting it it's got much more impact than if you've already seen a picture of him being shot it's true not agree? oh yeah 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 but yeah. what i'm saying is it's so early in the episode somebody at the bbc made a decision that they would get a bigger audience if they put the hook out mm. there we're going to kill doctor who in the first 10 minutes of this episode, you just choose. It doesn't in to ruin find the story, it just lessens the effect. Mm-hmm. Great title, Day in the Moon. Love the title of that one. Set in 1969, most of it, you know. He's uh, in America. Mm. He's wearing Canton Stetson. Was one of the he best dies, then he comes out of a toilet and he's absolutely fine <laughs> in a cafe. It's just brilliant. The whole, the whole thing, I just loved it. I mean, the. The actual astronaut itself coming out of the water, brilliant mm, mm. idea. Imagery, lovely something. imagery, yeah. And the the little girl inside, you know, and the mystery that's set up, and the silence, for goodness' sake, the mm. silence was a great creation. 
So much going on in that episode. I loved it. I thought Mark Shepard was brilliant, and I really hope they bring him back. Yeah, exactly. Mm. He was good as well. He would have been a... I think it's probably too late now. I kept kept thinking there was going to be some kind of connection between, obviously, the use of the word moon, Day of the Moon, Dr. Moon from Silence in the Library. The little girl, I thought, looked physically very similar to the girl. Well, obviously it wasn't, but anyway. Yeah. I think doing the things that just didn't quite work for me. I think, uh, in ter- not in terms of the story, but in terms of the tone and the pace, I think it was just a bit haphazard. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's from the what, man who, this, yeah, the man who loves River Song at uh, the Wedding of River Song, which is the most haphazard. <laughs> no, but Wedding of River Song Ever. is up and in your face throughout the whole thing. It has a consistent tone. I think Day of the Moon and the, the Impossible Astronaut and Day of the Moon don't have a consistent tone. No. Um, I think Day of the Moon's got more, uh, from memory, more of a consistent tone. Day of the Moon? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. The Impossible Astronaut lurches really surprisingly it does. from it does. broad comedy into long sequences of spooky, let's see what's in the attic mm. sort of thing. Or the cellar, mm. rather, in the first episode. But it lurches really quite surprisingly from one tone to another. Whereas the Wedding of River song, the uh, good man goes to war and let's kill Hitler, will have a, they maintain a tone. Now See, that's the voice of a writer tone. talking about it. You obviously look at it from that standpoint. Yeah, tonally, I thought it was. I didn't think it lurched that badly. Really, the bit where they um, arrive in the White at... House is just the broadest comedy. And it's the characters are sketched in so hazily. Okay, and then from the a writer's point of view, you're right, Mark. Yeah, I suppose there really... is there's an element of uh, trying to squeeze lots of things into one small space. Yeah. I know that. It's like with a Stephen. But I do Moffat. feel that the second episode was far more consistent. But then at the start of the second episode, you've got that whole big five minute sequence of them running around in the desert, oh, that's completely brilliant. mental, completely mm. mad. Brilliant. River song jumping out of a building, and then five minutes later in the episode. We see what happens to her when the TARDIS catches her, and it's completely zany, and it's like uh, the invasion of time in reverse. It's like the last two episodes of Invasion of Time. Including the swimming pool. Are filled with the maddest stuff. But the four episodes before are quite satirical Mm. and can be taken quite seriously. Mm. And there's quite a lot of stuff there that makes you think. Whereas in the last two episodes of The Invasion of Time, there's absolutely nothing to feed your brain. Is it the first uh, Moffat story? The, the other way round. Day of the Moon starts off with ten minutes of absolute nutty madness that makes no sense whatsoever. If the President of the United States has sent the Doctor on this mission, why has he then sent the CIA to kill the people that he then rescues by putting them all in this impossible prison? You know, it, I, I don't care that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But what I don't like is the way it suddenly lurches again from absolute nonsense, Scooby-Doo nonsense, to a really long sequence in this house that's actually really quite nasty and scary. He's not, he didn't send them out to kill them, though, did he? He sent them out to capture them to bring them back for their own safety. Yeah, why? Because they were never, you know, they were on the run. Why were they on the run? Because the President of the United States is the person who's employing them to go and find out what the silence are. Mm. he's got the CIA chasing them mm. and then he's got a rogue member of the CIA bringing them in while the rest of the CIA think he's killing them he pretends to kill them mm. for all the other CIA operatives mm. 
But the president sent those CIA operatives out to kill them in the first place. And then he's had to send the other guy out to pretend to kill them so the other CIA guys don't kill them. Why are they on the run? Are the CIA guys actually out to kill them? Or they all yeah, part of the... that's why he has to come in and pretend to kill them so the other guys don't kill them. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? But I thought that was for the silencer's sake. Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, maybe, but the other yeah. CIA guys don't know what Canton's up to. He's working rogue at that point. Mm. That's why he has to bring them all back to this impossible prison so they can... You know, bugger uh, off and do their stuff. I think visually it's a really interesting story. The yeah. way they shot it. There's a one particular scene that stands out for me when they're um, arriving at the orphanage and it's quite dark and oh, yeah. the rain's pouring down on the car. It just looks a real visual treat. That's a really very weird town. moment as well, mm. which I really liked. I yeah. That's great. This spooky yeah. janitor who doesn't really have a clue what's going yeah. on. And... <laughs> I, I want to think, see. I want to see him again. <laughs> For me, the silence are a quasi nonsensical Stephen Moffat monster. Too far. I think with the angels, you have to accept that they don't make any sense. Mm. And with the Vashti Narada, you have to accept that you know their backstory doesn't make any sense. And with the Clockwork <laughs> Robots, you have to accept that their backstory doesn't make any sense. You have to accept these things, and then you have to move on. And I think with the silence, he just tried to go too far. If the silence had been around forever, you know, everywhere on the entire planet, yeah. watching the whole of mankind's development, I think I'm not arguing with the idea of the silence, but I think he just played it. I think he just played that card just a bit too heavily. It was a bit too heavy, but he's just had a second big bang. So maybe they just come into existence after that. Well, possibly, but even if they came into existence after the second Big Bang, the Big Bang was still, you know, resetting the universe from the start, so they've still been there for the entire time the universe has. <laughs> so are you saying you don't enjoy the silence? Let's <laughs> say my favourite song of all time. Um, it's a great tune. Do you know, what? I've, this has been bugging me for ages. Why suits? What? Why the silence in suits? So they look like men in black. Why are they, why are they in wet, greasy suits? So they look like men in black with funny big heads. Yeah, the same cool. reason that blinking robot in the cowboy the... story was wearing cowboy gear. Why would the sea devils It'd wear pick... string vests? <laughs> Cover their modesty? Well, you know. Just to make them look good. They They're hankies. a Doctor Who monster. <laughs> the most important thing is they look good. No, that's stupid. Did you not think they look good? Yeah, they'd have looked good naked. No, I then put the suit on. I would have found <laughs> the stretchy mouths really quite frightening when I was a kid. I say. Yeah. Mm. And I think, you yeah. know, these things are built for kids. The fact that you turn around and you can't remember them anymore. Spooky as hell. Genius Great idea. for the kids. Mm. Yeah, genius idea. But like I say, I, I still think it was a great story. Yeah. But I don't think it was one of the greats of the year because I just think, A, tonally... I'm surprised, actually. A bit I'm really place. surprised how high that is. Yeah, because we... In order for it to be third in our list, that means we yeah. must collectively have voted it do you know, I think, I, I, I think I, I voted quite highly on impulse because I, I, I thought about the thing that Lee was saying about was, was this a scene with the Doctor's death. I just thought it was so potent. Mm. It's not very often you get an episode that affects you in that way. And I just think that, that kind of uh, deserved. Of it was good. I think the other trouble was, <clears throat> and this was, I think at the time of transmission, this was my big problem with this episode, is that it sells itself on being 
a two-part story that will address the Doctor's death. Because the Doctor's death is given to you right at the start of the episode and is therefore the thing that draws you into the story that follows. But at the end of two episodes, the Doctor's death hasn't been addressed. So for that entire two episodes, your mind is expecting it to go one way, whether consciously or subconsciously. And at the end, if it hasn't addressed that, okay, it's setting up an arc for the series. Mm. And I think it pays off much better because by the end of the series, you've worked out where in the series you are. But at the start, it just leaves you feeling slightly wrong-footed. And also, there's a scene in there where (laughs) Amy picks up a gun and shoots at a child. And whatever way you cut it, oh, she knows a child. You know, the image that the audience is left hanging with at the end of the one episode is Amy picking up a gun and shooting at a child. After she's just announced that she's pregnant as well. That's that sheer panic though, isn't it? That you was can a sheer excuse it any way you want, but the writer has a choice of whether to finish his episode with yeah. the image of Amy shooting at a child or no, not. No, personally I think it was a wrong else. thing, but I, I just think you know that that's probably what was in his mind. So well, yeah, like, you can excuse it any way yeah. you like, but it's not a choice I would have made. And I don't think you needed her picking up that gun anyway. No, there was, was plenty just else a, going on yeah. at the end of that episode that you could have cliffhangered on it didn't need to be that you know you could have cliffhangered on amy saying i'm pregnant let alone the silence walking in or even just the astronaut walking in and pulling down its visor and revealing itself to be a kid you didn't then need amy to pick up the gun and shoot at it that was just all these elements you could have stopped with any one of them and to choose that one to stop with i just felt was a misstep well i loved it anyway Right, you must have voted first, I think. I did. <laughs> right, the next story, our second favourite story of of the entire year was... The Girl Who Waited. I really liked this one. Mm. <laughs> I really liked it. I liked it a lot. Why did I like it so much? I don't know. It reminded me of all the classic SF that I used to read as a kid, I suppose. Very Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke and all that business. And but also, it, visually, it was very Gattaca, yeah. THX, mm. 1138. yeah. All up my street. I think it's a winning combination. You've got a fantastic story, very well written by John McRae. What a simple story, actually. Yeah. Beautiful design work, those robots. Very oh, simple, yes. but really effective. <laughs> you just sound like the Winston Churchill dog, or whatever it's called, the Churchill. Oh, oh yes. How did I? I <laughs> do can... the wobbly head next time you do that. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. That works so well on an audio <laughs> format. Oh, there you go. I did do the nodding <laughs> head, though. But the hand bots were... Fantastic. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a kindness. I mean, that was a very um, D eighty four type yeah. thing. Yeah, on. yeah. But the really good thing was, well, Amy, exactly, and actually a really good foreshadowing of um, Karen Gillan's acting as an older. She Amy. really shows her acting chops in this one, doesn't she? She does mm-hmm. actually, and it's really interesting seeing her now older in the last season her last season mm. um that you could imagine her being older and being a bit like that actually now mm. whereas maybe that was felt like a step too far for some of the audience going well would she really be like that would she be like but yes you can kind of see it now so actually you know hats off to karen good bit of acting in that mm. and it's an amazing thing to have put the character through as well mm. the rory 
story where he waits for 2,000 yeah. years. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but he waits 2,000 years where he can wander off and interact with people and do other things, and he's just making sure he keeps an eye on the Pandorica. And he still has his freedom, mm. and he's still not being hunted for every minute of those 2,000 years he waits. Okay, so she only waits, what is it, 34 years or something? I can't mm. remember. She waits about three decades, right? But for those three decades, she never sees another human being, never has any interaction, and is being hunted for every second of every day for those three decades. Mm. So, she does have a Rory bot. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's just <laughs> the only thing that keeps us sane, yeah. in, essentially. I think it's just... It is great because she absolutely hates the Doctor when he turns up. She hates him. Oh, absolutely. And you would. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the great thing about it is that it asks you to believe something impossible and then sells you it as the only logical truth. And I love the idea of, I mean, that's those are kind of the timey-wimey episodes that people understand and are a fantastic idea and concept, kind of thing that Einstein would dream up and throw away, right? Whereby you have one room that runs at a particular speed in time and the other room that runs at another speed. And, you know, that's great because within about three minutes, they've lost Amy and then they go in and she's old. So, oh, my you know, how are they going to solve this? How are they going to sort this out? And going back to the design, something as simple as a magnifying glass. It's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Really, really yeah. Oh, oh yes. just in the OES again. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Doctor's quite, really quite cruel, really, at the end, isn't he? Because he leaves it to Rory to decide. And Rory doesn't mm. decide that. The ending, to be honest, is a little bit of a fudge. Mm. You don't like that, do you? I actually quite like that. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm not complaining about it. I'm saying the Doctor has a really difficult decision to make yeah. and fudges it. So oh, Rory then has a really difficult decision to make and it gets taken out of his hands. It does. So in the end, the ending is a little bit of a fudge. But having said that, you've got stories like Boomtown and to me it's better to ask the question and not have an answer than to not bother asking the question in the first place. Hmm. Better to show the dilemma and... Probably, in a way, philosophically, better to take the dilemma out of your hero's hands because, like we were talking about something else earlier, if you've taken the decision out of your hero's hands, you haven't made your hero show his hand. Whereas if you made him show his hand, sometimes that's something that you can't take back. That is a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, what could Roy have done or said that have made that ending any more interesting or better or satisfying? Because I think what Amy has done by saying, you know, right, go now, go, you know, you better get on quick because you know if you let me in, I'm going to stay. Don't don't let me in, basically. You know, me, I, th- I think about myself in a situation. I think I'd be the same, actually. You'd be a coward, wouldn't you? If the door opened, you would go in. Oh, absolutely. So the only way is just by saying, just don't open that door, because I will come in. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's very Amy. I think that's very ca- the character. Mm. Yeah. I think even after the... That, that's kind of the point at the end of the episode, isn't it? That yeah. Even after 30 years, where she's learned to hate these people, even after all that, then the, the, the demonstration of her inner character still comes out right yeah. at the very end. Yeah, worst part of that was the um, uh, Rory picking up the Mona Lisa, wasn't it? Did he have the Mona Lisa and put it over one of the handbox heads? Oh, 
Wasn't there a piece of artwork in there? Vague memory of that. I'm I'm sure he picks it up and it's like just. uh, No. (laughs) That's right on the back. Someone's written this is a fake. (laughs) (laughs) It's one of four. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was I was quite moved by the episode if I remember rightly because I made a point of tweeting Tom McRae didn't get a reply. Do you hear that, Tom? Really? I know. No, he's pretty good. I know. Yeah. I know he's very friendly, which is why I made a point of saying hello. But I think he must have had an absolute flood yeah, of them that night. Yeah. Seriously, uh, I've got to say actually that this episode probably appealed more to our age range as well because uh, my son and his friends have pretty much dissed this one. Oh, really? It's like yeah, whatever. Uh, they like the handbots, but they thought it was a bit. Dull. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess they we're, we're going to be episodes. A bit so. more sensitive to the passage of time, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. I think it's one of those things. Though, and we've I all think... discovered girls. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. <laughs> but I think it's perhaps one of those things that when you're a kid, you'd be wrapped up in it while you're watching it because there's enough weirdness going on. Yeah, yeah. Like the aging and the, then these yeah. two characters are the same character. There's probably enough to keep your kids' attention while they're watching it. But then probably when it's finished, it's probably one that doesn't live with them so well afterwards. Mm. So maybe that's the reason. Should we... Uh, yeah. Our favourite story, which is going to come as absolutely no surprise <laughs> whatsoever because this was everybody's favourite story of the year and was at the top of every single it's poll definitely of mine. the year and won all sorts of awards for the year and everything else as well. The Doctor's Wife. It, I don't think I put that at the top. No, you didn't. You put the impossible astronaut at the time. I did, yeah. Because you're contrary. I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mary. I, I think what it was about it, it was Neverwhere. I remember Neverwhere. Mm. The book, very good book. Yeah. Not necessarily a brilliant series. I didn't enjoy the series that much. It's good to watch. They but didn't there have were, enough money to make no, that no, series. No, no, no. But it, it felt a bit, oh, 80s Doctor Who gone into the 90s and not, not it, I don't know. There was something about it. It didn't quite work. Neil Gaiman, good writer mm. again. But very comic-based idea in Doctor Who. It was like a nine out of ten for me. Eight out of ten. There's just bits of it that just didn't work for me. I think when I heard Neil Gaiman had signed up to do a story, that for me, I just couldn't wait to see it because I'd read a few of his books um, and I thought his style very much suited what Moffat had set up in series five. That whole sort of fairy tale aspect to it. Mm. Um, I really rate him as a writer. I think he's brilliant, and I think I'm right in saying he's agreed to do another story. Mm. Wow! Not sure when that's going to happen, but there's no doubt he's a good writer. And mm. actually, I wouldn't have trusted that concept with anybody else. And you can tell he's a fan as well. He yeah. goes way back. That could have gone so wrong. It could have gone easily wrong, and I think that's that's why I've still rated it quite highly, but not not necessarily the top. Mm. I think it was just it was delivered. Beautifully, Idris was fantastic. Yeah, yeah and it came out really, really well. And, and like JR said in another podcast, it's just basically telling us what we already know. Yeah, and I've known for years <laughs> that the TARDIS is the Doctor's There's wife. Lots of nice little nods as well for seasoned fans. Yeah, it's lots. absolutely chock a block with Famwanag, mm. <laughs> but not in such but, a way that it detracts yeah. from the story. <laughs> not, not at all. It, it 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 polishes up the legend. It mm. yeah, it's just. Just absolutely adored it. Absolutely adored it. When you see the Time Lords communication cube knocking at the door at the start, you just think, oh, wow, this is brilliant. All the characters, uncle and auntie, are just brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, The little nod about the Corsairs, using the cubes from the war games. My only slight, if I had to be really picky, is they had a, a great actor in the form of Michael Sheen 
and you couldn't really tell it was him just because they treated his voice and when he was playing house and it just you don't need to say no it's them do you no, but isn't that kind of the uh, the flip side of yeah. using someone like David Williams, who you will recognise, mm. and it detracts from the story? Then the kind of the point is they needed somebody to be the voice of House, and the best person they could get to come in for a morning and record the lines yeah. was Michael Sheen, and he agreed to do it. Well, it's not a not a bad standby, is he? Really, <laughs> it's not like they got Michael Sheen and said, "What can we do with him?" Oh, let's not have him turn up. Let's just use his voice. Yeah. It's like they needed a voice, and Michael Sheen agreed to mm. do it. Mm. And we get to see more of the TARDIS. Which I think a lot of people have been a little bit of corridor. For. I mean, yeah, yeah, a little bit of corridor. Do me fine. <laughs> Jeez, oh, um, the uh, the kind of makeshift TARDIS. Um, yeah, you see, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I like Kitchen seeing the old TARDIS. Tenant Eggleston control room again. It had been <clears throat> built up throughout the Rusty Davis. That you could grow your own TARDIS from mm. just a little bit of an old TARDIS. In other words, that with the TARDIS, it was the concept rather than the machinery that was the important thing to keep it working. So, if you've got a planet on the surface of which are 15, 20, 30 devastated TARDISes, if you were to walk into a scrapyard where there were dozens of dead <coughs> cars, you could pull out the bits to I make get a the working concept. car. Yeah, mm. I get the idea. I just think in the time that he had to do it, it just didn't... He's uh, a genius. Yeah, I know. Actually, wasn't it designed by a kid? Yes, yeah. a Blue Peter competition. Oh, in which case it's brilliant. Yeah. And the funny <laughs> thing was, <laughs> she had to wait. You know what, I'm reason. usually sensitive to stuff like that. You know when people say about, on oh, kids' drawings rubbish, really? But I don't, I don't get that at all with that. I just loved it. Hmm. It seemed to work, and it, and it, the idea that all these TARDISes were in different forms when they got destroyed, so they weren't all going to be the same. They weren't all going to be of the, the same template as, as the Doctor's TARDIS. They were going to be all slightly different, so there's going to be all these really old oddities all over Again, the place. Yeah, the idea is amazing. 15, yeah. 20 crash TARDISes is a great idea for, you know, we didn't see enough of it, and as a comic, that would look fantastic. They'd have really gone to town with that, I think. That was all a bit Brain and Morbius as well, of course. Mm. Of course. Space shard, yeah, space graveyard at the start. Yeah, yeah. The, the Corsair, <clears throat> all little things, little. Yeah, the That's little boxes. Second that make time it. we've had that name mentioned. We didn't actually see him. No. Why do people keep bringing him up? Or her? But yeah, because of because it's another, it's another master, it's another Rani, it's another renegade time lord. That and there's it's not necessarily a bad one though. This is no, a no. doctor's drinking partner, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you yeah, know. we don't get many good Time Lords being renegades, yeah. do we? No, because if they're good, there wouldn't be renegades. You've got Campo. Well, the Doctor's considered a renegade, isn't he? Oh, okay, then. Renegade and runaway. You've got okay. Campo Cronotus. in Cronotus. Yeah. You've got uh, Asmel in Twin Dilemma. You've yeah. got Arthur Daly in uh, Nikita Time. Drax yeah. in Drax uh, and Armageddon Factor. Yeah. You've oh, actually well, had I more stand. renegade good Time Lords than I you stand. have bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> Medley Monk. They He's don't stick of... out, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it had heart. That was the thing, yeah. and it, um, it resonated big style. I thought it's it was it was well done because the main actress did such a fantastic job. Yeah, I think the casting was how great, difficult right that must have been to you know. Okay, mate, you're going to be the TARDIS now. Uh, you know, forty odd years, fifty odd years of this uh, 
this this amazingly fantastic box you know it's iconic we're you're going to be playing that what you know how do you start to play that how do you even begin so i mean i'm sure there are interviews whether she tells you why or how she did it but i don't know she just played it so beautifully simply naive oh, it's just a real love letter to the show isn't it oh it's just fantastic yeah but i just think it's the whole neil gaiman feel that didn't quite pull off for me. I'll tell you what it is. It didn't feel like Doc 2 so much. It felt like a Neil Gaiman book. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Just needed to be a bit more hooey for me. <clears throat> I know very little of Neil Gaiman. And I just... don't know. I just... It's almost like if there was going to be a film of Doctor Who made for the fans, then that's what that was. I just want to um, go and watch it now. Yeah. <laughs> really? You want to watch it now? Yeah. <laughs> You've got to get it, but I've got to get it for work. I mean, work it's so it's lovely from the start, isn't it? The, the thing with the doctor, where all of a sudden there's a slim chance there's other time lords. Are... Oh no, his hopes are so dashed. Absolutely, the little boxes... to the point to the to the nth degree where somebody's butchered them and is using parts of them to. What about House as an enemy, as a, as a kind of a a villain? Very tenuous. Yeah, now. But it, again, it reminds you of the kind of thing you'd get in a comic strip. It reminds you almost a bit of the sequence in Star Wars where they inside the asteroid and all of a sudden realise they're standing on something's tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. Yeah, that's, that's that's there's a Marvel comic character. There's a living planet. I can't think what it's called. Very similar. And there's been stories here. And of course you had the living sun in 42. Mm. You know, it's it's that kind of... It's like a graphic novel sort of an idea and of course the idea itself has been around for a long time mm. it's just I find those kinds of ideas a bit tenuous because mm. if there actually was a planet that was alive you know, what would it what would it feed on mm. and what would it exist for you know every, everything, uh, everything in the food chain is in its place in the food chain for a reason but something like that doesn't have a place in the food chain. It's a concept, yeah. which is why it's a sort of comic strip idea. And to put it on the screen, you've got to <clears throat> expect your audience to make even more of a leap of suspension of disbelief than they normally do. And that's okay, and it works in that story because House is so Im- unimportant in the story. You just need something tenuous in the background to be running from or fighting against in order to put the bones on the rest of the story. So it's okay. <clears throat> you don't want something any less tenuous and actually, in that story. Actually, you're right. It's more brains of, brains of Morbius, brain of Morbius, than we think because of uh, uh, Auntie Putting and Putting the bodies together, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it references Brain yeah. of Morbius, War Games, all sorts of things. That's kind of... The only thing that I found detracted from it all and could have marred it for me but it didn't it was it was paced just right it was the all the business inside the TARDIS with Rory and Amy and uh, you know where she kept coming across coming across Rory older and what have you remember that bit Rory dies doesn't he again in the TARDIS of yeah. old age that was really good I thought that was quite effective that's what I mean yeah that that could have but why did it happen yeah. what was the sense of it yeah oh, I don't know the house was messing with their minds he needed playthings, didn't he? Well, yeah, exactly. I it's think like, it was kind of needed mm. to balance it up so it wasn't all... You need something for Amy and Rory to be doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And again, but again, that's 
a bit of a tenuous concept, really. Mm. But, you know, it didn't need to be anything but... Yeah, it I'm was trying, a graphic I'm trying novel, to look at the kind of pattern honestly. of the story. Um, you know, and it doesn't... You know, what, what was the story? They they land on a planet. What, what was the story from well, start to finish? How enticed. can you summarise that? The Doctor was enticed to a planet that absorbs and eats TARDISes. Right. So the planet is... Tardi. Brought him down to try and eat his TARDIS. And that's okay. it. And then he has to escape. Yeah. But and in the process, stop the planet from eating any more right. TARDIS as it might get its hands on. So it's a very, very simple story, actually. Yeah. But the whole point of it, obviously, was to address the, exactly. the Doctor's wife. That's the whole point. Yeah. Mm. It's like a school reunion. It's, in essence, is quite a thin story so that you can get lots of screen time for Liz Sladen. Mm. Yeah, that's I how these things work. I love the idea that, that the TARDIS saves all the different desktops. Yeah. Elsewhere in the TARDIS. I mean, and that's one of those retconning things where you suddenly think, oh my God, they've always been there. They've been saved somewhere else all this time and somewhere in the TARDIS, all the other... Secondary control room. Yes. Somewhere in the old... Yeah, brilliant. So yeah, that's a primary, story a secondary and a tertiary control room. What do you call the other ones? The other words. <laughs> um, Backups. <laughs> I love the idea of going back to the old TARDIS. That was lovely. Yeah, that was a real fun room. thing to do. Mm. And it, it's brilliant, actually. It's absolutely, what they also should have done was go to the old wooden one, the old Victorian one that Tom Baker used. Well, That's sadly, they didn't just... have the set. <laughs> Down in Cardiff to do that. <laughs> could, have, could have made that a cheap bolsa. Of course, that's why the Ood was in it. That was supposed to be something else. Oh, yeah, I forgot the Ood was in it as well. That was another... Strange. Well, yeah. Neil Gaiman had written it being a classic series monster that hadn't been used yet, and so they didn't have a costume for that, and to save money, they had to make it a new oh, series really? monster. Do we know which one it would have been? Uh, I think it was the one that starts with a Z. No way, man. I don't know, because nobody's ever said, but the impression I got was that it was. I think Actually. the initial script had a zero room as well. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was about something like... It's a fan went out too far, isn't it, really? There's something like 10 or 15 minutes worth of deleted scenes from that episode. Brilliant. Are we going to get really? to see them? They don't do so. decent extras on the box sets anymore, do they? Oh, well, maybe in about 15 years' time. There was <laughs> quite a lot of call for them to put out a extended version of the episode on the DVD. Yes, please. Yeah, like a 60-minute cut of that episode on the DVD. Yeah, go on then. Yeah, but they didn't, did they? What was that sound you just made? <laughs> I won't do it again. That's no, gross. don't, please. It's porn sound. Waka, 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 waka. Anyway, like on that note. It sounds like Rolf from The Muppet Show. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Not Rolf Harris. Waka, 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 waka. I've just got Rolf Harris's face, like Pac-Man now, going around. Waka, 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 waka. <laughs> can tell I think somebody can make a fortune if they could license that. Kids <laughs> and water, they love it. Well, uh, I guess that's it. I reckon so. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to talk about next week? I don't know. We'll find out when we get there. It'll be a surprise. Okay, I was JR. I was Lee. I was Mark. I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon.
contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast. Blue Box Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay.